Ephesians chapter 1. We're uh, changing up service a little bit this morning, uh, doing a little bit different. We're going to have some, some worship time uh, after the message this morning that the, uh, the message is really going to prepare us for. I, I'm, I, I've been waiting for weeks to start this series because I believe if you can, if you can grab onto the message of the book of Ephesians, it, it will change your life. It doesn't matter who you are. If, you, if you're a baby Christian, you've been a Christian for six months, you've been a Christian for 50 years. It doesn't matter. The book of Ephesians will rock you, and it will, it will change your understanding of who God is and who God made you to be. And so I really want to encourage you to follow along with us. Maybe, um, maybe some of you have had children recently or in the last 10 or 15 years or grandchildren, and maybe you're familiar with the movie Toy Story. <laughs> now you're there. Yeah. I've been wondering where you were the whole sermon. Now you're there, Toy Story. I wish I'd have known that earlier. Toy Story. We just flash it every day on the screen. Toy Story. Toy Story. Oh, yeah, Toy Story. Pixar. If you remember the story, incredible animated uh, movie. One of my favorites. Woody. Remember Woody? He has a snake in his boot. Woody is in charge of the toy domain. Until one day, a new toy comes into town. And the town just isn't big enough for both of them. You remember this? Buzz Lightyear. Now, don't go. You're still with me. This is deep theological stuff here. Buzz Lightyear shows up. And, and you can see during the whole movie, Woody, Woody goes through this crisis where, you know, the, the little, of whatever the little girl's name was that liked him, you know, she kind of likes Buzz Lightyear now. And you got this triangle, and it's all complicated in Toyland. And then they're trying to find the enemy, and Woody tells everybody which way to go, but now Buzz tells everybody which way to go. And you can see in the whole movie, Woody's trying to, he's overplaying his hand, he's overstating his case. He keeps saying too much, too loud, too often, because he's trying to convince everybody, and probably most importantly himself, that he's still important. Hey, just because this dumb toy showed up doesn't mean that I still don't run the ranch. I've got the hat, and the, he's kind of yesterday's news. What Woody has going is a full-blown identity crisis. Now that Buzz is there, he just don't know who he is. And he's trying to figure that out or to convince everybody or to state it to everybody that he's still important. That's really what the whole movie's about. And sort of at the end, Woody realizes that he's just as important as he always was. It's just the relationships are different now. And he sees himself much more through the eyes this is really important, of community. It's not important that I'm the leader. It's not important that everybody thinks I'm the best. It's important that I have these friends. It's important that I have these relationships. That's really what's important. You know, not bad stuff for a, for a cartoon, right? Pretty good stuff. Well, Woody's in an identity crisis. If, if you look around and you think about the challenges that you and I can face in life, an identity crisis is a difficult challenge. There's nothing worse than dealing with somebody who's trying to be something they're not. Have you noticed that? You try to deal with somebody, you go, oh man, I wish they'd just chill out. I wish they'd just relax. I wish they'd just be themselves. Nothing worse than dealing with somebody trying to be something they're not. You know, if you think about it, what would be the worst part of having amnesia? Not knowing who you are. You know, I just, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I came from. I don't know who my parents were. I don't know my address. I don't know what town I grew up in. It would be an identity crisis. If you ask a man, who are you, he's likely to tell you where he works. Who are you? Well, I'm a plumber, or I'm a dentist, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a CEO, or I'm a, I'm a whatever. You ask a man, who are you? That's most likely what a man's going to tell you. You ask a lady, who are you? She's most likely going to define herself in terms of relationship. Well, I'm so-and-so's daughter, or I'm married to so-and-so, or these are my two children, or this is... And so we all have different uh, places that we derive our identity from. It feels like to me that on a national level, our, our entire country is in an identity crisis. Who are we? We're not the America that we were. 
we're going somewhere and we don't know where, but for the last 20 or 30 years, it seems like we've kind of been in this turmoil of who are we? And I think, I think one of the earmarks of identity crisis is a lot of conflict and uncertainty. And it feels like to me we have it. If you look on an individual level, an individual that is in an identity crisis has a lot of inner conflict and a, and a lot of uncertainty. It feels like to me the American church is in an identity crisis. When, when the American church was growing, when the American church was, or Christianity was uh, dominant in America, we had a set identity. But times have changed and the culture's changed and the American church has never dealt with abandonment or failure or rejection or persecution. So in light of that external change, who are we now? It feels like to me the American church is just sort of in an identity crisis in a tailspin. It feels like to me the average American Christian is in an identity crisis. So many of our struggles in life come from not knowing who we are because it's from who we know ourselves to be that all the actions of life flow. This brings us right to the front porch of the book of Ephesians. Now, in your bulletin, I've put an insert. What I've done is I've just taken some of the most relevant thoughts from the book of Ephesians, and I've just given that to you uh, for your study. Here's what I hope. I really want to invite you to join us in this summer study of the book of Ephesians. This book is glorious and rich and powerful and identity-shaping. And I want to ask you to join us this summer in it. At the bottom, I've kind of put the outline of each week's, kind of the thought for each week uh, in, in terms of identity. So you can see what passages we're going to be going through. I'd love to invite you to read along in the book of Ephesians through the summer. Man, just take that passage that's coming the next week and read it every day. Read it every day for a week. And then, and then come ready to go. And I just know that God's going to speak to you and he's going to impact you uh, through this series. So uh, the, the outline is there. If you, if you have to miss a Sunday for some reason, man, jump on podcast and take this journey with us. It's going to be one of the most important uh, that you and I have ever been on together. Now, let me give you some background for Ephesians. Uh, we're calling this series, I Am. Not I Am like God says, I am that I am. But I am what? Who are you? I am... And then we're going to fill that blank in from Ephesians each week. Now let me give you a little background on the book of Ephesians that will kind of help us. When Paul the Apostle wrote the book of Ephesians, he was in Rome. So you can see, where did Rome go? I miss it. It's up here on the boot. Oh, it, right over here. Yes, top, top left corner. Paul was in Rome in prison when he wrote this letter uh, along with two or three others. Now, he wrote this, although this is called Ephesians... Uh, there, there's not very much confidence in anything that I've ever read anywhere that Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church, which is in Asia. Do you see these little red, red uh, circles with yellow stars in them? This is Asia, Asia Minor. And so what happened is most people believe that when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote it as a circular letter to these churches. So the letter was got from Paul, you know, sailed across the world, and then it was handed from one carrier to another, and it would be taken to a church in Asia Minor and read. So unlike most New Testament books, you're not going to find a lot of particulars. You're not going to find, it, if you read the book, it doesn't sound like that Paul even knows the person he's writing to very well. And that's very unusual because other books, you'll hear Paul say, my, my dearly loved friend, he, he speaks in terms of deep affection. You don't find that in Ephesians. This is more of a general book. But it was, it was written in, even if it went to Ephesus, it probably did go to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus acted like a capital city for that part of the world. It probably went through there, but it also circulated. So oftentimes when you read a book in the New Testament, what helps you understand the book is the context it was written in. So for example, if you're going to study the book of Corinthians, if you learn a lot about the city of Corinth, and about that time period and about that culture, you might learn a lot about why the book was written and what this means and what that means. Not true with Ephesians. The content, you can study the city of Ephesus all you want, and it doesn't shed much light on the book at all. So that gives you a little bit of, a little bit of backdrop. Now, Paul wrote Ephesians to these churches to help them understand their identity in Christ. Ephesians has been called the crown 
of all of Paul's writing. Because Ephesians is... Um, Ephesians has been described as a commentary on all of Paul's other books. Now, you get two big ideas from the book of Ephesians. One is, God made you who you are to glorify Him. The other thought is, this book is, is written from the view, uh, the view's always on the church. It's not on an individual. In other words, uh, Paul would say, you cannot reach your full identity in Christ without the church. Without the church, without the body of Christ, you will be in some level of identity crisis. You can't fulfill all of that without Christ. So, today it would look something like this. I'm going to say to you from Ephesians 1 that Paul's going to say to us, I'm blessed. So you're blessed. How are you blessed? You're blessed as you're connected to Christ and connected to His church. The further you get from either one of those, the less connected you are to your identity. Your identity in Christ is found in Him and in the church. So let's look at Ephesians 1, and we'll jump in this morning. I am. I am what? Let's, let's look at Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. A, a better way to translate that first word praise is bless. So think about it this way. Blessed be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you've got something to write, write some notes down. Let me, let me give you some thoughts this morning about I am. I am what? Ephesians would tell you and I today, I am blessed. Any of you feel blessed today? Any of you feel blessed? I am blessed. Good. I am blessed. Here's the first thought. Why are you blessed? How are you blessed? I'm going to give you three ways this morning that, that we are blessed. Number one, you are blessed in Christ. Now, that's a little thing, but it's a big thing. I am blessed in Christ. Now, would you just, I, just want you to, I just want you to get this in your spirit this morning. Would you just say that with me one time? I am blessed. Good. One more time. I am blessed. Oh, you're going to get it. I'm blessed. How would people reading this letter think, ever think, that being in a person that lived a few decades before, that has now died and gone on to heaven, how would they view themselves as being in Christ? They wouldn't think of themselves as being in James or in John or in Paul. We don't think of ourselves today of being in Martin Luther or in John Wesley or in Billy Graham. How would they think of themselves as being in Christ? When we think about our relationship to Jesus, we think about Him being in us, right? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? We don't think about being in Him, we think about Him being in us. We say, does Jesus live in your heart? Uh, have you asked Christ into your life? And I just want to make a shift on that language this morning. The Bible rarely ever says it that way. In all of Paul's letters, you'll almost never hear it that way. And I'm not sure in the book of Ephesians you'll ever hear it that way. We focus so much on Christ taking our place on the cross, on Christ's substitution in Him taking our punishment, and we're kind of out of the picture altogether. But the main idea in Ephesians is we've been caught up into Christ. We've been made one with Him. So we are to identify with Him so much that His death is our death and His life is our life. Two weeks from now when we do water baptism, this is the way we're going to say it. You've been buried with Christ, right, and raised in Him in new life. That's how we're going to talk about it when we do water baptism. But, but we say, uh, you have died with Christ and you've been raised in new life. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, 164 times in the New Testament, over 35 times in Ephesians. So, I want you just to look, if your Bible's open, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and I just want you to look at all the ways he uses in. I'm just going to blitz them to you this morning. He says, in the heavenly realms, blessing in Christ, chose us in him, in his sight, in love he predestined us, in the one he loves, in him we have redemption, in Christ, in him we're chosen, our hope is in Christ, we were included in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal. Now if you think about Christ being in us, then our picture of the whole kingdom is about an inch tall. But if we think about living in Christ 
living in his world, living in his person, living in his universe, living in his environment and his reality, the world explodes. We're joined with him in him. You can't reduce your Christianity to a list of beliefs. Living in Christ is a dangerous and a transforming life. Being in Christ is a destructive force. Jesus aims to destroy all wrong alliances and all misguided priorities and shallow living. It destroys individualism. When I understand who I am in Christ, I can never view myself as ever being alone again. I'm never separated from Christ. I'm never separated from Christ's family. I'm joined. I'm together. I'm unified. I'm a plurality. I'm a community. Christ-like is the best thing anybody can ever say about us. So how are we blessed in Christ? Let me first give you two thoughts about the word blessing. I feel like in our culture, we don't really have a very deep understanding of the word blessing. Right? Somebody sneezes and what do we say? Bless you. Bless you. Blessing seems like an ethereal, nebulous, wave of the arm, cloak that covers everything, a silk screen that you just throw over anything and it makes it pretty and nice. Bless you. Bless you. And, and I have noticed that the charismatics picked up on this language. You know, you ever have somebody, look, I've said this, you've said it, everybody said it, and half the time, it's right on. But, but have you ever had somebody, you ask them who they are, how they're doing? Anybody know where I'm going? And they say, oh, I'm blessed! I'm blessed! And, and, and it's like they've been waiting all day to pounce on some, you know, small-minded person like you that doesn't really understand the kingdom and the full expression that they do so that they can sort of correctively say, why would you even ask a question like that? I'm blessed. Don't you know Jesus? Blessed. Right? And what I always thought is, if you're so blessed, why do you look so angry? Blessed. You know, almost like, I'll teach you. You'll never ask me that question again. And I say, you're right. I'll never ask that question again. You taught me. I don't know if you taught me anything about God, but you taught me a lot about you. I'm not asking that question anymore. Blessed. Make you sorry you ever asked. This super spiritual, sacrosanct, disconnected from reality, feet not ever touching the ground, floating along in the cloud, playing a harp. Blessed. Thank God. And, and I'm not sure that that captures... The full essence of what we understand our identity to be here in... I almost feel like that's Woody trying to ward off Buzz Lightyear. On the other hand, I think there's other ways that we use the term blessed that it rings shallow. Usually when we say somebody will exhale in a moment of sure euphoria and they'll say, we are so blessed. And what that usually means is we have more material things than we ever thought we would. We own more stuff than we ever thought we would own. And, and maybe you're saying today, I thought there was nothing wrong with owning material things. You know, I've heard that said for so long now, and I've said it for so long. I think we need to say something different for a while now. I mean, I've said that, and I've heard that. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, I, I'm not sure that's entirely true. I think there is something wrong with owning material things sometimes. So let's talk about those times. Because we always sort of try to set the American consumeristic Christian at ease by saying there's nothing wrong with owning material things. Enjoy yourself. I, I, I think there's another side of the story we could tell. I think there are a, a few times it's wrong to own material things. Let, let me give you those. I think it's wrong to own material things when you think God loves you more because you have more. I just think that's wrong. I think if you sit back at your life and you rake in material blessings and you look at them and you say, boy, we're so blessed. And what you interpret that to mean is that I've lived a better life with God than other people or God somehow loves me better than other people. And here's the proof. Look what I've got. See, I just think that's flat wrong. And I think we should say that. 
I, I don't think that would fit in the New Testament mentality whatsoever. I, I think there's another time material blessings are wrong. It's when we don't share. I think that's wrong. Why do you have more? From God's point of view, why would he allow you to have more? Who are you supposed to help? What are you supposed to do with it? Where are you supposed to invest it? How are you supposed to reach out? Who are you supposed to share it with? In other words, what's the purpose of the blessing? The purpose of the blessing can't just be for you. It can't just be for me. If it is, it's like not from God. Because God has an eternal view. Are you with me? All right, it's getting a lot quieter. Here's the last time I think that it's wrong, material things are wrong. When you, when you don't have the material things, but they have you. When, when you don't hold them, they hold you. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. They're wrong when they cause you to get your priorities out of order. When you neglect God, when you neglect God's priorities... When you neglect your relationship with God, when you neglect your family, when you neglect your church family, too often the more things that I have, the more distracting they become. Because I have to manage them, I have to take care of them, I have to buy insurance for them, and then that insurance goes up, and then I've got to protect them, and then I've got to build a security alarm on them, and I've got to maintain them, and on and on and on and on and on. And those things can become a distraction to me, and my heart becomes full of so many things that God has pushed out. They finance my life of neglect. Of what? Of the most important things. So how are we blessed in Christ? Paul doesn't wave some fairy tale pixie dust over everybody. He doesn't get all ramped up in their face. Paul gives a very specific list of ways that you and I are blessed in Christ. And if you read uh, verse 4 through 14, you can read them, but I'll just highlight them this morning. In Ephesians, he says, we are chosen by God. That's our blessing in Christ. We are loved. We are predestined. We are adopted. We're given grace. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. Grace has been lavished on us. The mystery of His will has been made known to us. We were chosen for the praise of His glory. We've been included in Christ. We've been marked with the Holy Spirit. We are blessed. If you want to live a blessed life, get in Christ. Would you say it with me this morning? I'm blessed. You are blessed. Here's the second way. You and I are blessed. Now, this is an awkward way to say this. You and I are blessed in the now. You and I are blessed in the now. Verse 3 says, I am blessed in the heavenly realms. Like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> Where is that? I am blessed in the heavenly realms. Hey, uh, I, I, let me not tell you what it means. Let me tell you when it means. It means now. It doesn't mean in heaven. It doesn't mean when the rapture comes. It doesn't mean after the world burns. It doesn't mean when we're all in eternity at a family reunion in a lawn chair. That's not what it means. It means now. In an attempt to reach people with the message of Jesus, I think we've done a lot of damage with our crisis approach to evangelism. We present them with, if you, die, if you died tonight, do you know for sure if you would go to heaven? Evangelism explosion. I learned it when I was a teenager. If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? If you were to face Jesus tonight and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? That's a crisis approach to evangelism. It says, get in Christ so that you can go to heaven or so that you won't go to hell. Now look, I believe all of that's true. But you'll be hard-pressed to find that type of theology in the book of Ephesians. The emphasis is much more on the present life with Christ now. You can, the good news is you can live in Christ now, so it may say something, sound something like this. Get in Christ because he's God. Get in Christ because he's true. Get in Christ because he's the source of life. Get in Christ because he can help you now. Get in Christ because you can enjoy forgiveness and freedom and eternity now. You don't have to wait on heaven. We're not a bunch of people dried up, dr dying inside, waiting, rotting away, waiting on heaven. Got heaven now. Where? 
in here. In here. We've made Christianity a commodity to be received, which is why we struggle with our identity. Do you want to be saved, we ask someone. Yes, how do I do that? Pray the sinner's prayer, all right? Done. Commodity transferred. A better question would be, do you want to live Jesus' life now? That's not, that's not an event. It's not a moment. It's not a commodity. It's a life. It's a whole life. What did Jesus say? I came that you might have abundant life. Heavenly realm's not a location. It's a reality. The point here is the reality can't be detected with our five senses. So our temptation is to base our identity on what we smell, taste, see, touch, hear. We base our identity on what we can detect through our physical senses. But what, what Ephesians is saying to us is, don't base your identity on that. Don't base your identity on what's in your wallet or what's in your bank account or what title is on the top of your desk or how many friends you have on Facebook or anything else. Don't base your identity on that stuff because it is a small reality. There is a larger reality. What's it called? The heavenly realms. And it includes what we see, but it is not limited to what we see. So what's this larger reality like? In this larger reality, in this heavenly realm, Christ is already exalted as Lord. He's large and in charge. He rules perfectly. We share in his victory. In this realm, darkness is rejected and opposed. In this realm, God reveals his wisdom and his glory. That's what the heavenly realm is, and it's bigger than the physical realm we live in. And the physical realm is actually inside it. Now, in this reality that you and I live in Monday to Friday, Jesus is not going to be in charge. I don't know if you've looked out your window lately. I don't know if you watch the news. I don't know if you read the Facebook posts as they go by. Jesus is like not in charge. Have you noticed that? He's like not getting his way. You cannot watch the nightly news and say that was God's will right there. You can't say that. In this realm, Jesus is not in charge. He's not going to have his way most of the time. But guess what? You and I aren't from here. Our home is not here. Our life is not here. Our identity is not from here. Our identity comes from a larger reality. Would you say it with me? I'm blessed. Oh, you're, you're getting it now. So go ahead and pass all the laws you want to. Go ahead and put all the bills in my mailbox you want. Send me all the notices. Give me all the bad diagnoses you want. Go ahead and pile all the bad news on top of all the bad news. You can label and diagnose and conclude and reason and decide anything you want. But my life comes from a larger reality where different conclusions have already been reached, where Christ is in charge, where I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Come on, say it with me. I'm blessed. Oh, you're getting it now, isn't it? Ephesians is good. This reality will never, 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 never change Christ's reality. But Christ's reality is going to change this one. We're on a collision course for that change. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to be blessed. I'm blessed now. I have Christ's reality living in me now. In Christ is the reality I live in. I'm blessed in Christ. I'm blessed in the now. In the now. Here's the last one. I'm blessed in worship. I'm blessed in worship. That's where I want to kind of bring it all right back down. I want to ask our worship team to come. This passage in, first, uh, in Ephesians 1 is not... You're going, to be, you're going to have a challenge if you're reading it and you go, this verse is telling me to do what? <laughs> How do I apply this? I mean, if you read, you read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, you go, I, I, I praise God, I am blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing. I've been chosen, I've been adopted, I've been redeemed, I've been predestined, I've been... But what a... 
like tomorrow when I get up, what do I do? What do I do? This passage really isn't a list of things to do. It's an invitation to worship. It's an invitation to imitate Paul. Paul has this ridiculous rant and rave of high and lofty and cosmic worship. And it's an invitation to join him. Maybe another way to say it is, I'm blessed in worship is to say, blessed people bless God. More than any other book in the New Testament, Ephesians is trying to show us that God's not far away, He's not removed, He's not separated, that God is right up close. And He's closer than you think. And all of this language, you hear this, um, uh, you hear this family, you hear this relational language. I am loved, I am adopted, I am chosen, I am redeemed. This family language, this gracious, loving language that God sort of drapes over us. This is who you are. You're, set, you're not set in an organization. You're not set in a hierarchy. You are set in a, in a family. You are set in a relationship with Christ. That's who you are. God is close. When we understand who it is we worship, then we understand who we are. When we understand who we are, our lives change. And all the power that we need to live is right there. We understand who God is when we worship Him. When we lift our eyes up off the need, the crisis, the chore, the task, the day, the challenge, the culture the frustration, the worry, the fear, when we lift our eyes up off that and we set them on Jesus, then our identity changes. We understand who we are in light of who He is. Walter Walter Wink said it this way, to worship is to remember who owns the house. Isn't that good? To worship is to remember who owns the house. Worship, listen to this, worship is the opportunity for us to tell the truth about God. There's a lot of lies being spoken about God. There's a lot of lies through culture and the enemy tries to whisper into our brain and he tries to mislead us and misguide us and make us think, God, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. Why hadn't God come through? Why hadn't God met that need? Why hadn't God healed you? Why hadn't God prevented this? If God really cared, where was he when this happened? The, the, the culture and the enemy work together to try to change our understanding of God. But worship is the opportunity to tell the truth about God. Majesty. Glorious. Magnificent. It's when we get a chance to tell the truth. And we also tell the truth about ourselves. In worship, the church recreates its own soul. It reestablishes who it is. In worship, we scream out, I will not be defined by this world. I will not be defined by this world. We shout out the real reality of God. Worship is when we come together and we declare sin will not win. Sickness will not win. Suffering will not win. Persecution will not win. Oppression will not win. Bondage will not win. I will not be defined by my surroundings. I will be defined by my creator. Are you blessed? I'm just hoping you'll get this. I am blessed. Karl Barth said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. Worship is not having the right plan. It's not having the right song list. It's not having the right style. It's not having the right instruments. It's not having the right volume. Worship is experiencing God and giving Him space to break into this reality blessed you know why I'm blessed because he's God 
There's really no other reason. No other explanation. The other, uh, two weeks ago, we were in Soak. And we were singing this song I think we're about to sing. Amazing, uh, amazing, this is amazing grace. But we were singing that the night of Soak. And I don't know what happened. But as those words came out my mouth, and I was singing, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place upon the cross. That you would lay down your life. That I would be set free. And somehow my mind flashed to my childhood. I was sitting right there. My mind flashed to the deep bondage and the frustration and the fear and the worry and the smallness that I lived in so much of my life. And I just began to cry and I began to be overwhelmed and I thought, God, it really is amazing. It really is amazing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that somebody like me who came from somewhere like I came from could be somebody like this today. It's amazing. It's amazing. And in that moment, because my eyes were lifted up on Him, my identity, my identity was shaped. It was formed. It was concreted. I am not where I came from. I am not what I've done. I am who God says I am. Are you blessed? Man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. If you and I can get this, it will change everything in your life. I guarantee you this, you function out of the identity you think you have. You act, you talk, you think, you perceive, you understand, you hear out of the identity you think you have. If you can think that you have the identity that God says you have, imagine how you would think, imagine how you would talk, imagine how you would act, imagine how you would believe out of the overflow of your identity. I'm blessed. What if you really believe? Maybe you, you and I will turn into one of those crazy people and say, I'm blessed. Maybe they're mad at the devil. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I've been misunderstanding it all the time. I'm blessed. Maybe you and I will turn into that, huh? I don't know what would happen. I know this. I want to believe that I'm who God says I am. That's what I want. Don't you? Isn't that what you really want? <laughs> what could go wrong, man? Hey, we're going to end with two songs. Would you stand with me? We're just, we got time. We're in it a little early. We're going to end this service in worship. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to ask uh, if the prayer team will just come and maybe find your way to the sides. Just find your way to the sides. And look, you may pray with people all morning. You, you may just stand and worship. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Here's what I want to do. Here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to have a moment. Yeah, yeah you can just filter on off to the sides and people will come for prayer. It'll be fun. Here's what's going to happen to some of you. When you lift your eyes up and you start to worship and you put your eyes on the creator what's going to happen is his identity is going to become real to you and when that happens you're going to become overwhelmed with his grace and love and it's going to it's going to rock you and if you need somebody to pray with you I just need I need God's help I need whatever I'm telling you, some of you are going to sit there and go, I, I don't need that. And about the middle of the second song, you're going to say, I need that. And our prayer team is here. And a prayer team, I just want you just to, just to worship yourself. And if somebody needs prayer, you pray with them. Otherwise, just worship. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. Lord, this morning, we lift, we lift our attention up onto you. For two songs, we're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to join Paul in an outlandish display of love 
and worship. And Lord, we, we, we worship you this morning. We worship you today. We come to tell the truth about you. You are God and you are glorious and you are mighty. You are magnificent. Come on, tell the truth with me, church. Come on, tell the truth. What you know to be the truth about God, you tell the truth right now. God, you are gracious. You are faithful. You are faithful to a thousand generations. Lord, this morning we worship you. We reject every lie of the world. We reject every lie of our own mind. We reject every lie of our own invention. And this morning, Lord, we gather today to worship you. We gather to worship you, Lord. We gather to worship you. We gather to worship you, Lord. Come on, worship team leaders. Lord, we worship you today. Come on, just praise you, Lord. We worship you today. God, we worship you today.
tell him why you're blessed. Father, we're so blessed because of all that you've done, because of who you are, because of what you do inside of us, how you change us, how you meet us, how you challenge us. Father, we're blessed. Lord, for what you are, for what you've done, every good and perfect gift, every blessing that I will ever have comes directly from your throne. It's poured out on my life, my family's life, my friend's life, my church's life. It's poured out directly from your throne. Lord, we're blessed today. Jesus, we're blessed today. Lord, I'm blessed.
bless God. Do you say it with me one more time before you go? I'm blessed. Believe that? God bless you. Have a great week.